This is mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Sonic Echo. Welcome back to Sonic Echo, where we explore the best in old-time radio, and we are continuing our Western series, and this time around, I am your captain of the cavalry, Lothar Tuppen, and we're here with a company, or as we like to call it here, Amigo Company. How is, how are my, uh, my two lieutenants, uh, Lieutenant Jeff Billard, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Captain. It's a pleasure to be in your company. Excellent, excellent. And, and Lieutenant Jack Ward, how was your, how was your uh, time off in uh, St. Louis? Well, it's funny you call it time off in St. Louis. I called it uh, Potato Patrol. I'm about through 30 or 40 pounds of the stuff. I'm happy to be able to come back anytime (laughs) and get off KP duty. Just just make sure you get that discipline, uh, you know, problem in order and uh, we won't have you do that KP thing again. So (laughs) what we're listening to this week is um, Fort Laramie. And Fort Laramie was a wonderful, wonderful series that only lasted for about 42 episodes, something like that. 41 episodes. 41. It ran 41, from, yep. yeah, 41. It ran from, you know, January 22nd of 1956 to October 28th of 1956. And it was done by the same team that did Gunsmoke, Norman McDonnell and John Meston and some other people that we'll talk about as well. Um, is there anything you guys want to mention before we, you know, get a little bit more into the uh, into the episode? And I'll talk a little bit about this particular episode as well. Yeah, I hadn't, I had never listened, and uh, you brought it up, and I listened to the episode that we're going to talk about today. Plus, as I usually do, about five or six more. And um, what a what a fantastic uh, radio show this was! Uh, it's yeah. it's one of my favorites, and I I didn't. You might have said it, but I didn't realize it that it was the same folks who did Gunsmoke and a lot of the same actors. I mean, yes. Harley Bear's in there and Howard McNair's in the series. And of course, Har- of course, uh, Harry Bartell's in there too. Um, yeah. One of the main roles. Yeah, And, and I was listening to it and I said, there's, there's a quality to it um, that Gunsmoke has. And I immediately thought of Gunsmoke without knowing that it was the same people. And, um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that there was that, that I made that connection. But I, I think that when people listen to this, it, it, to me, it's like a high class show. I mean, it's so well produced. The music is fabulous. The sound effects are, are close to perfect. And, and, absolutely. And, and Raymond Burr is so good as, uh, as Captain Quince. Uh, that I, I just I can't wait to listen to the other thirty five or whatever I have left um, because, like I say, it's just that it's it's this it's that adult western that we've talked about. You know, it makes you think, it makes you feel. There's psychological stuff in there, and and uh, to me, it has so much. So it's going to be fun to talk about it. Yeah, 
What about you, Jack? What did you think? Uh, I, you, got, you said it all, but basically it's got like – both both shows have like two of my favorite leads in William Conrad and Raymond Burr. Uh, and so I think if there was no Gunsmoke, everybody would have been talking about Fort Laramie as the, as the best show there was. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's hard for me to figure out exactly why Gunsmoke – is so much better. I mean, we can talk about it afterwards. I don't mean so much better. I mean, uh, better yeah. in the respect that people connected with it more so that it lasts longer. There's, uh, yeah, there is some info about that that we'll get to on the other side. Cool. Um, before before I forget, uh, one of the reasons why I, I, I have that is um, I was when I was trying to decide on this episode, and then we'll talk about the episode in just a moment, I was trying to find some... Um, you know, what I try and do ahead of time is look at synopses of the various episodes and sort of narrow it down to five or 10, you know, obvious ones just from the, the way it's described and then go from there. And I couldn't find much online. And then I found on Amazon a little Kindle book for a dollar called Fort Laramie, a review and episode guide of the old time radio show by Tim DeForest. Wow. And it talks a little bit about it and how this really was a spinoff of Gunsmoke in the sense that they had. They wanted to do another adult Western. Right. And they wanted to do one a little bit different. So in some ways, Fort Laramie would never have existed without Gunsmoke because it was kind of a, how can we tell some slightly different stories mm -hmm. about a different kind of thing? And one of the um, points that was there, and I think this will come through in this particular episode, is that um, – Per this book, I'm quoting now, Fort Laramie's overall attitude was that the end of the Indian's way of life was pretty much inevitable, but it recognized the inherent tragedy of this. And that's kind of one of the points was trying to do that as well as also describe um, a place where it's not just the people you're fighting, but the terrain, the disease, the poverty, the, the you know, all of the different things that homesteaders and the cavalry had to deal with at that time and create a different sort of enemy that they're that they're fighting and we'll get to see a little bit of that type of enemy in this as well which this episode is called playing indian and it's the very first episode mm -hmm. and as i listened to about five or six different episodes they were all really good but i kept coming back to this one because it introduces captain quince it introduces all the all the characters obviously but it really goes into the character of why why are these people doing this and i also really like some of the the grayness that we'll get into so is there anything else that you guys want to mention before we get into playing indian the very first episode of fort laramie i just wanted to mention something really quick and it's about the the writers um oh yeah and and the reason i bring it up is because there's something rich like gunsmoke there's something rich here i think it's not just white hat black hat you know um shoot them up type of thing there, there's there's something else that i think sets fort laramie apart from um and gunsmoke apart from many other shows and and looking at the writers, you know, it's the same writers from Gunsmoke, John Meston, as you mentioned. But I also noticed that there's a, a woman writer on this show named Kathleen Height. And yep, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And I wonder, I wonder how many women writers there were in old time radio. Um, and, and I wonder what, you know, her perspective, how her perspective may have enriched the whole, the whole, uh, process. But, but I do think that when people listen to it, you know, read it, listen to it. And I, I, I always suggest listening to it more than once, you know, listen to it for the first and go back and then kind of focus in on things. And I think the writing and some of the lines, um, especially the deep kind of psychological ones are, uh, are so yep. incredible in this. 
Well, that, that's that's exactly one of the reasons why I selected on this one, which people will, will you know, it'll, it'll become apparent as soon as they hear, because there are some just perfect, iconic lines for the genre, for this, for the conversation we've been having this whole season. Um, you know, just to sum up the whole series as well, it, it's, it's an excellent first episode, mm-hmm. but we don't want to get too far ahead of right. ourselves. Um, Jack, did you have anything you wanted to say? No, I, I, I'd like to save it for afterwards, because I think you've done a great job of setting it up. It's wonderful. Okay. Right on. The the one thing I will ask uh, the listeners to uh, pay attention to is the sound effects. Like Jeff was mentioning, they bring in volume, they drop it down. It is just top notch. Mm-hmm. Really pay attention to, you know, 1956 and how good it is. But um, let's just uh, get into playing Indian Fort Laramie episode one. Captain Lee Quince, specially transcribed tales of the dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier, the saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire, and the dramatic story of Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. Sergeant, Sergeant Gorse, how are you? Oh, it's sure good to see you, Captain. You look kind of funny, though. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, them clothes, mufti. I ain't used to you out of uniform. I'll be back in uniform at midnight tonight, Sergeant. We'll stay in town till then. And you can buy me a drink. Me? By... I thought you was going to get rich in St. Louis. <laughs> Did I say that? Well, you talked about nothing else before your leave come through. Just proves you shouldn't believe everything you hear, Sergeant. Yes, sir. I'll try to remember that. See that you do. And to really fool you, I may go back to St. Louis. Quit the Army? Man can make money there, Sergeant. I don't mean gambling. I mean honestly. In an honest business. Buying things. Selling them. Well, sir, the Army's sure no place for a man who wants to get rich. I'll say that. The army's no place for a man who wants to do any living at all. You're either turning black with the boredom of garrison, or you're riding hell-bent into nowhere. That's sure enough true, Captain. (laughs) Well, come on, let's get our drink. 
How's B Company, Sergeant? Company's fine, sir. Major Daggett's gonna be mighty glad to see you back at Fort Laramie. <laughs> he isn't gonna see me till midnight. He'll be waiting up. Send me into town to tell you. Huh? Something wrong? Yes, sir. Well, what? Arapahoes? They've been raiding for horses. Massacred a whole family over in the basin about ten days ago. You mean... You mean they jumped the reservation? Not the whole tribe. Just a few of them, I guess. Mr. Seibertz took B Company out last week, but he didn't have any luck. Why not? I don't know, Captain. I wasn't with him. What? I've been on sick list till two days ago. Sick list? You? Yes, sir. Uh, pack mule kicked me in the belly. Oh. Well, a little whiskey will cure that, Sergeant. <laughs> well, here we are. Mr. Seibertz is feeling mighty bad about it. Your belly? <laughs> like I said, it's good to have you back, Captain. <laughs> uh, bottle of rye and two glasses. Coming up. Uh, the army. Hey, Moylan. Look at what came in. What's his trouble? Eight soldiers, I guess. Like a lot of people. Since Richmond. Yeah. Too much war, maybe. I guess everybody liked to forget it now. We all like to forget it. There's a war still going on. You're right, sir. Who do they think stands between them and all the hostiles out there waiting to hack them to pieces? Who does all their dirty work for them? It isn't like people to be grateful for any favors, Sergeant. No, sir, I guess not. I think of the troops aching for home while they sweat and freeze and spill their blood all over the frontier for 50 cents a day. It makes me mad. Tell me about St. Louis, Captain. Here's your liquor, gentlemen. Hey, you! Hold it! You know them, Sergeant? No, sir. What's your trouble, mister? My name ain't mister. It's Rudio. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to the soldier. I'm with the soldier. You stay out of this. You know what's good for you. You tell him, Moylan. What do you want from me? I never saw you before. Yeah. You won't want to see us again after we're through with you. What's this all about? We don't like soldiers drinking where we drink, mister. We like to teach them a lesson now and then. Don't we, Moylan? Yeah, we do it, too. Now, you just shut the... up, mister. What's the matter with you? Coming in here with a soldier. Gonna drink with him, too. Rudio, I just guess that he ain't no better than no soldier himself. Just scum floating with scum. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> well? Okay. Sergeant Gorse? Yes, sir. You can have more than there. Thank you, sir. Move out. <laughs>
I'll, I'll buy you that drink now, Captain Quince. You can buy the first one, Sergeant. Yes, sir. <laughs> Half an hour late, Captain Quince. I was on the post at midnight, Major. I wanted to get back into uniform before reporting. I'm glad of that, anyway. I kind of figured you would be. <laughs> you still think I'm too army, don't you, Lee? <laughs> We've known each other a long time, Major. Uh, since Vicksburg with Grant. Uh, I remember a night in Chattanooga you weren't very army. I've forgotten the girl's name, of course. Captain Quince, I trust Sergeant Gorse told you about the Arapaho trouble. Yeah. They're out raiding for horses. They've slaughtered a family over in the basin. It's got to be stopped. Settlers are beginning to wonder what the Second Cavalry's doing at Fort Laramie. If this goes on, there won't be any settlers. Hard enough homesteading this country without a man waiting for him and his family to be massacred by renegade Indians. I'll take a patrol out in a few days, have a look around. You'll take B Company out tomorrow morning. May I make a suggestion, Major Daggett? If it's in order. Lieutenant Seibert's took B Company out and found nothing. Sure, he's green, but a few Arapaho can hide easy from a whole troop of cavalry beating its way through this country. Give me 12 men. I'll scout those Indians, get them set up. Then I'll come back for the company. No. No, it's too slow. There isn't time. Better let me try it, sir. I said no, Captain. You haven't got very far your way, Major. You have your orders. Yes, sir. Oh, Captain... Yes, sir. I heard you and Sergeant Gorse were in a brawl earlier this evening in town. Conduct unbecoming an officer. You should learn to control your temper, Captain. I wonder what family the Arapahoes are putting the knife to tonight, Major Daggett. <sighs> I should never start this sort of thing with you. Take your patrol. Yes, sir. Any further orders? May have Sergeant Gorse and Lieutenant Seibert's, but no other officers or non-commissioned officers. Right. Pass your men through the main gates of the post half hour before Reveille. Any questions? No, sir. Then move out. There's a cabin just over this rise, Captain Quince. Ah, must be new, Mr. Seibert's. Yes, sir, it is. A man and his family, he's, uh, he's raising horses. A man's a fool. There's just as good land a day's ride from the fort. You're right, sir. Am I, Mr. Seibert's? Of course, sir. What if the man likes it out here, away from people? That make him a fool? No, sir. Then I'm wrong. 
I'm afraid I don't understand, sir. You agree too easily, Mr. Seibertz. Better learn to think for yourself. Yes, sir. Now, where is your cabin? Well, you'll see it in a minute, sir. There it... No. Look, it's been burned. Oop. Sergeant! So the Arapahoes again, Captain. Yes, Captain. Look down there, Sergeant. Hmm. File the patrol out of scouts, Sergeant. A thousand yards between men. If there's any Indians around, I want to know it. The men will watch us at the cabin for arm signals. Right, sir. And then join Mr. Seibertz and me down there. Move out. Yes, sir. Follow me, Mr. Sabitz. Looks like they slaughtered every one of them. family, Mr. Seibertz? That's all of them, sir. Thank God for that. Every one of them scalped. Even the boy. Mm. At least they... they weren't tortured. No, sir. Tell me... Tell me, Mr. Seibertz, was the the other family like this? Why, well, yes, sir. I see. Made quite a mess, didn't we? Take a good look, Sergeant. How many horses did this man have, Mr. Seibertz? About ten, as I remember, sir. Hmm. Well, Sergeant? Funny thing. What is? Well, Captain, I don't know how them Arapahoes could have surprised them so fast. What makes you think they did? Not many arrows around. If the men had had a chance to put up any fight at all, there'd be a lot of arrows. Is that all? Yes, sir. You sure? Well, yes, sir. Sergeant Gorse, I excuse Mr. Seibertz because of his lack of experience. But you, you're a disgrace to the cavalry. Or to clean your sleeve and send you back to stable detail. Yes, sir. Don't stand there, Gab, and use your eyes. I'm looking. Look harder. There ain't no tracks. No tracks? Somebody dragged him out with a blanket. Somebody? Why do you say somebody, Sergeant? I don't know, sir. There's something wrong here. Look, how old's that boy, Sergeant? Twelve, thirteen. Old enough to be a brave in a couple of years if he was an Indian? Yes, sir. Don't Arapahoes usually keep a boy that age and try to make a warrior out of him? They always do. Now, wait. Them tracks, they wouldn't hide their tracks. No, they wouldn't. Captain, 
Yeah? Now I know why you got so mad. I'm pretty mad myself. Took you long enough. Mr. Seibertz. Yes, sir? A man wearing moccasins doesn't care about his tracks. He's got nothing to hide. Wasn't Arapahoes did this. Wasn't Indians at all. It was white men. Whose place is this, Captain? Well, Jake Steele and his wife. Their daughter lives with them. Shouldn't their daughter live with them, sir? Ollie's 19, going on 20. She had some schooling back east. You mean she should be married now? This country needs women, Mr. Seibertz. But it doesn't need single women. Yes, sir. Patrol! Hunt! Mr. Seibertz. Yes, sir? Dismount and unsaddle. Dry the horses. Turn them into the corral yonder. Cache the saddles over in that brush so they can't be seen. All other equipment the men will keep. Yes, sir. Two men will stand by for escort duty. Move out. Yes, sir. Captain Quince, Miss Steele. But, Captain, what are you and your troopers doing out here? I'll tell you if you ask me in. Oh, well, come in. Where's your family? Well, they rode over to the Abbott place. That's a long ride. They're spending the night... They'll be back tomorrow. Why? Is there trouble? No, not for you, Holly. Then what are you doing here? I came to borrow your ranch. What? I need it for a few days, maybe maybe a week. Now, Captain, You I... and your folks can stay with the Abbots for a while. I'll send for you when I'm through here. You seem to have it all figured out. I have. Of course. Shall I leave right now, Captain Quince? Sooner the better. I'm sending an escort with you. Well, that's very kind of you. I can spare a couple of troopers. Then you'll move in here. Sergeant Gorse and me. Wouldn't you like for me to stay and cook for you? No, no, no. You, you, you couldn't do that. Why? Don't you think I'm a good cook? <laughs> Maybe when this is over, I'll, I'll ride back sometime. And find out. Captain Quince, just because you and I've met once or twice at Fort Laramie Dance... Now just a minute, Miss Holly. You don't understand. Don't I? Oh, I should have explained. There's... There's going to be a fight here. Fight? I'm using this place for a trap, baiting it with a bunch of horses. And when the men I'm after come for them... Well, we'll be waiting. What men? Men who've been stealing horses, murdering settler families, blaming it on the Arapahoes. You mean it's... 
It's white men who've been doing that. I do. Captain Quince, I'm beginning to understand that being in the cavalry, you're accustomed to ordering people around and not explaining anything. I'm sorry, Holly, I, I upset you. Now, if you'll wait outside while I get some things together, I'll ride up to the Abbots with that escort you promised me. Good. Oh, Captain. Yes? I hope you have a chance someday to find out about my cooking. What I mean is, good luck. Thank you, Holly. Go on, get out of here now. Took me that long to do something, I'd get busted to a private. You can still get busted, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Mr. Seibertz! Right here, Captain. You'll take over the patrol, Mr. Seibertz. I want you to spot the men in a complete circle around this place half a mile out. They're to dig in. And when they think they're hidden, I'm going to ride that circle. I understand, sir. Heaven help any trooper I can see. Yes, sir. They're to let those men through. But when they hear gunfire from the cabin here, they're to kill anything that tries to get back out. Any questions? No, sir. Move out. Yes, sir. Uh, well, Sergeant, you and I are going to be sitting on the pan of this trap. Like poisoned meat, huh? Maybe. Before we get off. You have to do that, Sergeant. I didn't join the army to be locked up in this coop for three days. Maybe you'd rather be sitting outside with the real men. Half buried, afraid to move, with nothing but a canteen of water and a handful of jerky. And no smokes. And no smokes. Captain Quince, I never had it so good, sir. Then shut up. Dark out already? Good. Ain't the kind of men who'd attack even a woman in the daylight. No, I guess not. Gorse, you lied to me. Uh, what? No smokes. You tried to make me think you'd find it rough out there with the troopers because they can't smoke. Well? You never smoked in your life, you ape. Not with that quid of tobacco on your jaw day and night. What are you trying to give me? You need action too, Captain. Bad as I do. Yeah, I do. Three days of this is worse than a winter in Garrison. You go to St. Louis, I'm going with you. That easy money... Shh, sounds... wait, wait. Come here. What is it? Horses. Listen. We got them, Captain. We got them. Okay. Move fast. Get out the back window. Come up the off side of the cabin. But don't shoot till I get at least one of them inside here. Yes, sir. Good hunting, Captain. Same to you, Sergeant.
Hello? Hello there. Come on, open up. We want to have a little talk with you. Look out, Jim. You'll have a gun. Listen, mister. We ain't gonna hurt nobody. We got something to tell you is all. Let's fix them and get out of here, Jim. We're just passing by, mister. Got some news for you. Maybe there ain't nobody home. They wouldn't leave all them horses alone, would they? Uh, I, I'm coming in, mister. Don't shoot now. Have your daughter light the lamp, mister. Then we can talk. You're next, mister. You okay, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Well, we got two of them anyway. I didn't realize there were more than that. He was holding their horses. Well, the troopers will take care of him. They deserve a little action, too. They sure do. Who are they, do you know? Strangers. One inside dead? I didn't kill him. But you took an awful chance, Captain. It'll be worth it. Maybe we can find out what they did with all the horses they've stolen. Maybe we can take them back. Yes, sir. But, well, there's two families won't never get theirs. Hear that, Captain? Mission accomplished. No more women and kids dying hard. Feels kind of good, don't it, Captain? Don't it? Sergeant? Yes, sir? Feels a whole lot better than making money in St. Louis. Fort Laramie is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars Raymond Burr as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Vic Perrin as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by John Meston, with sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Dan Riss, and Joyce McCluskey, with Lawrence Dobkin, Clayton Post, Paul Duboff, and James Nusser. Old Man Trouble takes it on the chin five nights a week when Bing begins to sing, which is just dandy for everybody else who's listening in. Since Old Man Trouble has no great charm to speak of, and since Bing Crosby has an ear for melody, a cheery disposition, and many other charms as well, folks naturally prefer to spend their time with Bing. For good company and easygoing songs, hear the Bing Crosby Show Monday through Friday nights over most of these same stations.
Company, tension. Dismiss. Join us again next week for another transcribed story of the Northwest Frontier and the troopers who fought under Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. We're back. So, what did you guys think of uh, playing Indian? Jack, why don't you go first? Uh, I, I loved it. I it, it I haven't listened to Fort Laramie in a long time, and it just brought me right back. And it, I think because we've been focusing so much, not just on the Western, but on certain elements, I was just breathless by some of the sound effect choices and the mm-hmm. way that they told story through the silence. Which is something I just interviewed Chris Cutris from the Nightfall Project, and he was he was right. talking so much about that too. Like, let the story breathe, you know, give people a chance to do stuff. And I was just thinking about Bill Hulwig because at the time of this recording, um, we also just released a Sonic Summerstock with Dark Shadows that was mm-hmm. dedicated to him and the whole bit. And and I remember yeah. like one of the episodes of. Um, Oh, his pulp series, and I just blank. Um, you know, Jake Sampson. Yeah, Jake Sampson. It's like one of the first episodes. There's just like fifteen, twenty seconds of walking up mm-hmm. to a mailbox and opening it up, and just setting you into that place. And I used to sit there and think, "Oh, let's get into the story right away." But then I was just thinking about the genius of just getting people to get into the feel of what's going on. And in this particular case, for example, in Fort Laramie. Um, there's action happening with no narration above it, no um, real effective dialogue like I got you and, you, you know, like that. It, mm-hmm. it just, everything goes through in the, through the sound and, and the, the fighting and, and the, at the end, you can, you can figure out what's happened because just the dialogue there sort of just adds to it because it's it's pretty clear you can you get the picture in your head really clearly because of it and i'm going to put down and i'll and i'll hand it over to to jeff because just this is a general description but i have always put down norm mcdonald as one of my all-time favorite um director producers of old-time radio because i think he is one of the like select few and when we start taking a look at style and tone we really have to take a deep dive into norm mcdonald's stuff because he is very he has very much a feel in the way that he puts his stuff and working with his uh partner john meston and it was sad they both died the same year i don't know if you knew that but um yeah uh, it, it's it's fascinating how those shows could be released today and people wouldn't 
effectively know it was your, you know, the, all that negative stuff here about old time radio. This is one of those shows you got to sh- have people listen to and say, okay, explain to me how that's crappy, you know? Right. So, exactly. Okay. That's my, that's my opening thought. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Well, I'm glad you brought up the silence, Jack, because I had written that down. And one of the greatest lessons I learned over my career as a stage director was um, a director who said to me once, um, let, let that line land. He said, let, let the audience sit with it and make sense of it for a minute. You don't have to fill everything up with movement and sound. And, and so I, I always thought of that. Let that line land. And, and so in this, Fort Laramie, I thought they were doing just that same thing with the quiet. And I, I felt like it was, a, it was quiet and not in a, in, a, in a bad way, in a good way, because it, they were throwing some deep stuff out there. You know, Quince, Quince was throwing some deep stuff out there. And then in some of the other ones, uh, he, he keeps doing that. Um, you know, this kind of wisdom that he's putting out there and, and they weren't rushing it. They were allowing it to, to, to happen naturally. And then they were allowing the silence to happen. And you made me think, Jack, about, uh, a show I was honored to be in that Bill Holweg, uh, mixed, um, called the, um, it was called Matt Hornblower, the strange fate of Matt Hornblower. And he, he sent me the beginning of it. You know, as he would remember how he would send us little snippets of his work when it was, you know, in progress. And the whole beginning of that, I, I, I think it goes on for 20 or 30 seconds is just yep. somebody walking yeah. on, on stone and going out to the car and, and turning on the car and turning on the radio and nothing, nothing's happening, but he's, he's painting this picture as, uh, as this character is doing this and it's, that kind of thing to me is so courageous when, you know, you have the confidence to just put your art out there like that. And, and, uh, you know, Bill certainly had that. And, uh, Norm McDonald and these people certainly have that in Fort Laramie and Gunsmoke. There's, there's no question. And, and the sound effects, I, you know, sometimes we don't say enough about the sound effects. So I, I think I wanted to lead with that. And, and the gentleman's name were Bill James and Ray Kemper. And, and uh, w- what an amazing job with the sound and yeah. and the quality of it. Now, it's 1956, so they've been doing radio for a while to this point, right? But um, these, I think these guys and whoever was working with them took it to a whole new level. And it's kind of a, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a realistic sound. It's oh, very it, much it's, so, for sure. Um, maybe that's a way to, to name it. It's just. And there's a, there's one later, there's a episode later, and I don't recall which one it was, but there's a whole, uh, battle that goes on when they attack these, these guys. And it goes on for quite a long time. The horses galloping and the gun shooting and, and all of that. And, and they allow that to all happen. So in your mind, like you said, Jack, and, and like we've said before, you can see this battle that's happening, right? As all they're doing is playing down a soundscape for you, and in your mind you can see what this battle looks like um, for you. And I, I just think, I think the sound effects were were it was a masterclass in sound effects, for sure. Yep. And uh, it, it's interesting that um, 
you know, Jack, that you mentioned tone style, you know, voice sort of thing, because that's right at the top of my uh, my page here because of my, of my notes. Um, See, this is the problem of having we, we me go d- first. I, I just steal everything <laughs> you no, guys are doing. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome because that's exactly that's exactly it. And um, when you have, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, not jumping directly into the action and. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of, of music style to where it's like if you're just doing a pop song, there's certain things you need to do and you need to come in really, you know, catchy right at the beginning and have a hook and same sort of thing with certain types of storytelling. But if you have a strong tone, a strong aesthetic style and voice, you can do some different things. And this one was very interesting in that we actually did get a bit of action in the opening with the, um, you know, the, the, the horses, like yeah, just in the opening where because of the raising of volume and the richness of even in this monoscape, it feels, you know, very complex mm-hmm. and very layered and textured. In my mind, it was like I'm right in the middle and I'm almost like the camera seeing these horses ride past me. Right. Like I'm right in the middle of a stampede of these of these cavalrymen riding. And that was very exciting. And then we have this you know beginning that has this, you know, a little bit more of a a slower build and that, that very strong voice that is very uh, consistent between Gunsmoke and Fort Laramie between um, McDonald and, and Meston and all the writers. But um, yeah, Norm McDonald definitely has a very strong vision. He has a directorial style that, um, you know, we definitely need to, to get more into mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, the sound effects were just excellent, especially the, the gunshots mm-hmm. uh, at the end, especially when, uh, when uh, Quince shoots that guy. It's like, it's loud, it's booming, it's unrealistic. That's not the way that a, you know, a handgun sounds, but that's not the point. The aesthetic is the point. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is big. Yeah. This is big sound, big, big, big action. Um, yeah, just fantastic. That mm-hmm. brings up a really important point that we need to talk about more th- thoroughly sometime. Um, and that is, don't just mimic the sound. You have to create the sound as if you want what you want the people to hear, right? So, yes. so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes a pistol so- shot sounds like a pop gun and you don't want right. it to sound like a pop gun, <laughs> you know, because you want you yeah. want it to have an emotional reaction to people. So, it's amazing what people's perception of what a gun should sound like. You know, a small gun versus a big gun or, you know, a train and all those kinds of things. You've got to, you've got to fulfill that kind of expectation so that people can go, Oh, wow. This is like a massive weapon or whatever it is. And, 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 and sometimes we go for so much realism that we forget we're also, we're painting a story here too. So, and they do that great yeah. in this, right? So, mm-hmm. well, something, uh, even just for like movement and, um, placement and volume something that uh, i find interesting to do sometimes is to watch a um a movie with a car chase or some sort of uh, major sound panning you know mm-hmm. bills and my favorite stuff was panning always right and uh, you know the pan the pan always gotta have the pan <laughs> and um there's times where i'll watch a movie but i'll have the audio playing through a sound system to where i can see where the levels are mm-hmm. and almost all the time, at least the ones that I've watched, especially when I was doing research for Promised Land that hopefully will come out someday, um, wh- is that they're overemphasizing the, the, where, the, um, where the car is. The car might only be like 30% to the left on the screen. It pans all the way to 100 and then comes back really quick. Like they overemphasize the movement to make it more dramatic. Cool. And if you separate them and look at it, especially if you're looking at a visual monitor, um, you can really see how they do that to make it more uh, to overemphasize the things they want to do to make the point. Very cool. 
And, and we get that a lot in both Gunsmoke and in Fort Laramie here. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the, you know, the richness of everything here was just really powerful, especially when they were um, walking on the gravel um, near the end. And it ties in a little bit with the opening where I thought this was, you know, a great way to open the show with dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier, the saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire. Mm. Um there's something dark about that, especially the Rim of Empire, because, yeah, this was the beginning of the American Empire. And we're only sort of seeing the, you know, uh, the smoldering ashes of that right now as people are even ignoring the fact that we, you know, are we don't really have the empire anymore, but we keep pretending we do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's also an important and we're still stuck on I'm, I'm stuck on the sound effects because I think you're, you're right about. Um, the emphasis, because some people, they're great at being able to build a really layered sound effects, but they just give them all basically, they don't recognize that certain sounds have to be emphasized to be able to create that story even more effectively. Like, if if you're doing good sound effects, you're creating setting. If you're doing great sound effects, you're creating story. Uh, I like that. You'd have to define story to me, because story usually means narrative to me. Well, so. I, I mean... In the respect that it's not the only thing about the story, although you could do an entire audio drama without dialogue. Um, sure. But the, mm-hmm. a good, excellent sound effects becomes a character of their own. And I, I, yes, I remember- absolutely. And that's ideal for the story. I remember they were saying about, I was reading, I think it was even in, in the Wikipedia about Norm Macdonald, where he said his sound effects, for example, were so effective that they might well have been rated a separate billing. Hmm. Yes. And so yes. that if you're if you're at that level of sound effects design, then you're creating story with it as uh, because yep. you're you're not just sitting there trying to set create a setting or even a mood because it's almost like the most basic thing you can do in sound effects is setting. The next level is mood, and the next level is how can you tell a real strong story with it. Yeah. I, I, w- I would say it all fits into aesthetics more than story, but I think we're we're playing semantic games at that point. I, I completely agree with you. Sure. Um, and that that'll be more of a you know future discussion when we can get into the uh, under the under the uh, under the hood <laughs> uh, behind baseball sort of uh, you know talking about all this stuff in the future. But yeah, no, I, it's I completely agree with you. And uh, the um, one of the things I always try and do is, is use sound effects or any sort of thing in the sound bed is like syncopation. Like if you find the rhythm of the, of the dialogue, how can you complement that rhythm through the sound effects? Not just mm-hmm. in a musical sense, but in a attention sense, a narrative sense, how can it contribute? Uh, whether it be a, you know, playing almost like the part of a Greek chorus or just being adding to the, adding to the rhythm of the whole scene. Right, right. You know, we don't have visual rhythm. A lot of visual directors in film, especially during the new Hollywood period, would use visual rhythm to create a almost like a a musical rhythm but it's all you know with with visuals since we don't have that we only have sound effects and it you know it can be tricky but um it's worthwhile to even attempt um let alone pull off yeah and and i just want to say before i'd like to hear what uh uh, jeff has to say i just want to say that i'm bad at that i'm 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 understandably bad at that side of production and that's something that i hope to get better at as time goes by so yeah i think that that you know, every show, whether it's a play or a movie or audio drama, has its own temporal cadence, and and to try to try and find that, you know, and in a good sound bed is is, I think one way to do that. And and I'm not so great at it either. And and you know, this is one thing that when I did Mars is Heaven, I tried to really focus on 
And I don't know if I was successful or not. I think you were. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you did great. I appreciate that. I, I, but I, I learned a lot from, from listening to Bill and Lothar. Um, and Bill, especially, and I've talked about this a million times with you guys and Bill's transitions. Um, and what he did with them. And, And I, I tried to do that with, with the, like the airlock door closing and the sounds and the general quarters and all the stuff that was happening, um, going on. And so it was, it was fun to experiment with that because I really hadn't done that so much. And, and it's kind of like, you know, just, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, and, um, you know, and, and I, I like the way it came out, but, you know, but I think that I think in the, the sound effects, you know, you can tell so much, uh, with them. And, and as long as they're spotted correctly, and like you said, Lothar, the volumes are there. And, and yeah, a gunshot might not really sound like that, like you said, Jack, but you gotta, you gotta make it sound like the way you need to make it sound, you know, in right. the, in the show. And, and in one of the other ones that, that attack in the Fort Laramie, the one I was talking about, you know, they were doing all the, the sounds of the guns, and then finally you heard the uh, classic ricochet bullet sound. Yeah, yeah. that they put in there. I thought, there it is, you know, and <laughs> yep. and uh, like that. So, it, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. It's not really sound so much as visual, but it's like in the original Star Wars when when the Death Star blows up. You know, there's so many people who said it should have made a bigger explosion. So when they went back and redid it, right, they made it a huge explosion. Because it wasn't quite up to what a lot of people thought that should explode. So, so I think you're right, Jack, in terms of the audience. I really liked the beginning of, you know, the introduction of Quince, the whole, you know, hey, he's not sure he wants to stay in the military. They even talk about the army is no place for a man who wants to get rich. The army is no place for a man who wants to do any living at all. Right. Uh, you know, sort of comment. So we have this. You know, from the very beginning in that first scene in the in the bar with, um, you know, the, the fist fight because the guys who don't like soldiers, I thought that was so brilliant because it shows that, you know, the modern day ambivalence between the uh, civilians and the military has always been a complex relationship. Yes. This isn't anything new. We seem to uh, people that don't, you know, again, pay attention to history seem to think this is something that only happened after, let's say, Vietnam or after World War II. And it's like, no, this goes back to different cultures, different times, different, you know, that's just the way it is. Your average person is scared and sometimes resentful of the people that are professional fighting people. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of uh, some of the the early uh, social dynamics? I won't even call it politics you know, so much, even though it is, but, you know, more of like the social dynamics. I thought it was it was interesting when um, he was uh, Quince was talking to Sergeant Gorse, who is really kind of his closest buddy throughout the series. It seems to me the ones I've listened to, he's his confidant. Yep. Um, yep. And you know when they were doing all the things that you said, that, you know, it's the army's no place for a man who wants to live and that and. And then I think it's Gorse who says, not like people are grateful, you know, um, for what we do. Yeah, what was the, uh, it isn't like people to be grateful for any favors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought that was, that, that was interesting. But I also felt like they're talking about the fighting and, and, and such. And, you know, I, I was thinking that, you know, maybe there's, let's face it, every time, every, every battle and then any kind of a, um, big event that's 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 tragic 
can cause people to have PTSD. And, and um, you know, I, I think it, it felt like when they were sitting there in the bar talking and, and, you know, I felt like there was a little bit of that happening with these guys because these are, these are two guys who have been in for a long time. I mean, they went through the Civil War because this is in my, and to me, this is not long after the Civil War. Uh, no, it seems no, it's like not. I don't know if they ever give a date or anything, but it feels like the Civil. It doesn't feel like it was 1880. It feels more like it was late 1860s or something like that to me when I listen to this. Um, and so, yeah, both- I, I didn't. I didn't have time, and I kind of forgot I, when they mentioned the Battle of Richmond. Right. Yeah, they did. And that this was just a little bit after that. And so I'm, I'm, you know, and, and looking at the history of Fort Laramie in Wyoming, um, it was bought by the, by the army after some settler, uh, original settling was going on, fur trapping, I think. And, um, I don't remember the exact date, but that's, that was my impression too, is that it was after the Civil War and now we're dealing with the Indian Wars and right. the, uh, yeah. that, you know, so settling going west. It, it just, so it felt like, um, and you're right, Lothar, there's always been issues. I mean, um, you know, to me, because of my age, it, it harkens to Vietnam, but it certainly, you know, after World War One, and certainly I'm sure in other cultures, there is that tension sometimes between the, you know, the professional soldier and, and the civilian. Um, and, you know, we, we see it on some of our streets today as well. So, yep. um, and and I think that's always what we talk about, you know, with the human condition. I mean, you know, true art to me, or not true art, that's not a good way to say it, but, but great art to me is, uh, says something about the human condition. And this is something that I think is, is throughout our condition, our condition as people on this planet. Yeah. One thing I want to mention, then I'll hand it over to you, uh, Jack, before I forget is one of the, um, very interesting parts of, uh, Viking culture, and this is in um, a number of sagas, um, is everybody was expected to fight when it was necessary. Mm-hmm. So your average person became a warrior, then they became back. But then there was the, these these classes of almost like specialized what uh, academics call the Mannerbund, which is a you know men's society or the band of men that were you could almost look at them as like historical special forces and. Within Norse society, there was the berserks, that was what we call the berserkers, mm-hmm. uh, which mean the bear shirts. And then there was the ulfednar, which were the uh, the wolf skins. And uh, the ulfednar, which were another type of, you know, sort of similar to the berserkers, uh, they were considered to be werewolves. And a lot of times everybody was terrified of them. Even when the bat fighting was over, it's like there would be legends about, oh, you don't want to be around their uh, cabin um, or their home, their hall uh, too late at night because you might get eaten by wolves (laughs) or, you know, you might get attacked. So even back then, a thousand years ago, in a very warlike society that put so much um, importance on fighting prowess, those specialists were still thought of as the other and still a little bit um, afraid. You know, there was still fear going on about them. So cool. Cool. Yeah. So you said the battle of Richmond um, and that was uh, 1862. There you go. August 29th to the 30th in 1862. So it was either, you know, shortly after that in the same year or just after I would guess. So fascinating too, um, because while you were talking about that, one of the things it, it, it strikes me that I was fascinated why they used the Arapaho, um, and, and obviously because they were yeah. the natives there. But 
they're famous. But the natives there were actually more of the uh, Sioux, Sioux and the Cheyenne. Exactly, exactly. But when I started researching Arapaho, I found out that they have a very strong warrior culture. So it seems like a clash of warrior cultures in many ways. Like this, oh, this yeah. is like an, uh, a, and, and the way that they talk to each other in, and I'm talking about the guys at the fort, it is very terse. I mean, this is the grittiest radio drive. I think it's grittier than, than gun. Uh, than gun smoke in a long way is. And, and it's so greedy, I feel like I have to brush my teeth afterwards. Like, it's just, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, and so, I'm, it, there's something about, um, I remember, you know, reading superhero comics for many years and, and that, and a good villain has to be the equal of the heroes, right? And even though the Arapaho aren't the enemies in this, they still are that kind of opposition that they have to raise to, to be able to combat, right? When the time comes. So there's, there's this, this nature of, there's no time. And it's mentioned many times. There's no time for second best. Second best gets you killed. We have to be at our number one thing. And that's like, he's sitting there uh, giving his buddy the gears about, not recognizing that it's not Arapaho that's caused right. this this attack, right? He doesn't just sit there and go, "We'll take a look at it again" and stuff like that. No, no, there's no there's no kindness between any of this. It's it's a shake the person, smarten the hell up because if you don't, we're gonna die, and I need you at my back. Yeah, and but Raymond Burr was so brilliant at that because there is a compassion that comes through his gruffness. Absolutely. He is looking after his men. He wants them to survive. He wants them to be better. He's constantly teaching and his techniques, very practical in the field, almost um, mirror some techniques of mystagogy, which is the uh, type of teaching that went on in uh, mystery cults where you do it by initiation. You push them into things. You you do various other stuff to to get them to learn. But it really ties in with the uh, the discipline and the camaraderie that you were also mentioning. That sort of the balance between the two creates that that sense of grit that you were mentioning, where there is the discipline when you need it, and then they can bust each other's chops in appropriate ways as well. And I really love the way that yeah brought all the characters together through that and sort of uh, disciplined it. Yeah, because it's it, the discipline as opposed to the other show that you you had uh, with the crazy uh, colonel who ran everything. Oh, right, uh, yeah. It's not it's not laced with cruelty. Cruelty no. is a very personal thing and it, him it, it is hey, we're in this together kind of back and forth which creates like you said camaraderie. It creates this strength between it. There's a there's a strength uh, it's almost like um, you know, wild men uh rituals of bringing somebody into uh full adulthood, right? Um, it's, it's, it's taking, it's taking somebody as, as if they're your brother, because you're going to need them. And you see this same kind of thing in the warrior traditions, even nowadays with modern soldiers coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and all that stuff. They, why do they sign up to go back to that hell again? Because their buddies did, right? And, and they're not going li- to let them do it on their own or something like that. There's this strength of camaraderie that happens and you can feel it. You can see it done. And like you said, Raymond Burr has a real understanding of this somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you both bring up a good point. And, and I think the dialogue um, that as written in the hands of a lesser actor probably would not have come off 
quite so, um, with, with some, with a tincture of kindness to it as it does with Raymond Burr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because I think that yeah. his, the way he delivers those lines, and it makes me think because, um, you know, John Denner was supposed to play this part and then he backed yes. out, right? Yep. And Raymond, good old wild Jack Red. Yeah. And Raymond, <laughs> and Raymond Burr took it. And I, I, I like him. I like John Denner well enough, but I don't think he's in the same quality as Raymond Burr for this part. Nope. I really don't. I don't think he has the depth. Um, I've heard him in so many things because he's so ubiquitous in old time radio. Right. right. And then, of course, he was on, he was on TV too as well. Um, and so I, I think in the hands of a, le- a lesser actor and a lesser cast, um, you know, it, so it may have come off as a little more caustic than it does. Uh, you know, like when he, when he tells Seibert's, um, who's really well played by Harry Bartell. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he kind of asks him and, and then, um, the questions and leads him into, um, an answer and then says, you know, you need to learn to think for yourself. Right. right. He, yep. he says that to yep. Cybert's because Cybert's is this you green agree lieutenant, right? And, yep. and, um, you know, don't be so quick to agree. You know, he doesn't want, he doesn't want yes men around him, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why he likes Gorse. And then when you look at his, his relationship with Major Daggett, yep. right? There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension there. And, yep. and, uh, and, and Quince is no yes man. At all. And so, as somebody who is not a yes man himself, doesn't want yes men under him. Uh, and I think it's, it's, inter- it's so well written. It's so, and it's so well, it's so well acted. Yep. One of the, uh, one of the episodes that I was listening to that I almost selected, I think it's called something like Stagecoach Stop or something like oh, that. Yeah, listen to that. And yeah. it's a brilliant one because he, um, you know, spoilers, uh, but basically, uh, Lee, of course, has the has the right idea about something, and he tells the major, and the major basically can't for various reasons. He disagrees, but he also has his own order, so he says, no, we're not doing that. Right. And then as soon as – oh, and then um, Lee is about to do something maybe a little – breaking the orders but making sure that this thing is covered and he finds out that even though the major couldn't do what lee asked he did put more guards on this thing that was supposed to be guarded and lee backs off and goes oh the major did listen to me yeah okay yeah and then as soon as like the crap hits the fan the major backs down and goes okay i'm i'm you know next tomorrow morning first thing we're doing what you basically said to do and it really shows their relationship in that same um uh, the same balance, the same re- uh, respect that they give each other and um, how the tension is there, but the tension works. The tension creates a, a working relationship between them all. Exactly. And and I won't give it away, but I, one of the ones I listened to, some, almost the same exact thing happened, you know, where Daggett tells him, all right, don't you go near that, you know, don't you go on that reservation. And he, he off duty, he goes and does it. And then, it, of course, it all works out well. And yep. so he comes back and Daggett's like, well, so I uh, heard you left the post last night, <laughs> you know, and uh, did you go see so-and-so? And, and I love, mm. I love that character of Quince. I absolutely love him because he looks right at his oh, commanding yeah. officer and he goes, yes, I did. <laughs> you know, and this is what happened. And now the problem is solved. And then the, yep. the major says, well, we'll just change the, uh, change the documentation here. So it reads a little differently. 
He goes, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so I agree. I totally agree. I love that. I love yeah. the character of Lee Quince. At first, I, at first I was a little unsure. Um, yeah. About him. I, and oh then, of boy. course, he, he's. And then I. He's. You go ahead. Oh, just he, he's so endearing when he's like all, uh, you know, confuddled and, and, and un, unsure around women. Yeah. Yes. I was yes, going to yes. bring up Miss Holly for that reason because I yep. think. Miss Holly, yep. I, I, I love the suggestion that either one of them could be interested, but there's, there's too many, uh, things in the way that would interfere with his job, with her safety, with all those different elements. And even just the sense of, well, I can't even put myself out there to suggest such a thing, right? They're always sort of like trying to explain to the other one, oh, that's not really what I mean. It's really about this. And, and you know, Jeff, when it comes to that in, in you know, the more you talk, she doth protest too much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The more you talk about stuff like that, the more that the audience realizes, yeah, yeah, they're, they're sweet on each other, right? So I, I was well, that 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 stagecoach stop episode, everybody needs to listen to that one because there's some wonderful I can't remember if it's Holly or because there's another love interest that he has in, in episodes. Yeah. I can't remember which one it is, but it's it has to do with a dance and who he's gonna take to the dance is one of the subplots, and it's really funny and, and charmingly done. Wonderful. <laughs> I was I was talking to a, a woman friend of mine, and she says, "You know what the problem with men is? They don't know how to flirt." And I said, "You might be right." And and uh, you know, it, I thought of that when I had Quince because Quince doesn't know how to flirt, you know. And and yeah, he definitely doesn't. And she's like, she's like, well, whatever she says. You know, I hope we get a chance to have you know for me to make you that dinner. And he's like, well, ma'am, you know, and and uh, you know. And then she has to backtrack a little bit because he's not picking up what she's putting down. And, and, uh, you know, I just think it's funny. So I, and I love the fact that the writers include that into the narrative so that it rounds out Quince a little bit more. So he's not just a one note character. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I loved, you know, the, the Yukon, but he, we said it before. He's, he's kind of a one note guy, right? And, and, yeah. Going through, and I don't say that despairingly. I, I love that that series, right. but that character. But then when you add in these love interests, you know, possible love interests for Quince, or or even the fact that that he's he's thinking of the fact that he's given his life to this military, and and uh, at least in the beginning of the show, right? He he says this is this hasn't been worth it. I'm going to go to St. Louis and make some easy money, but then they they are sure they, it's honest easy money, you know. It's not it's not illegal. I'm going to go make some easy money, and and um, I thought it was. I didn't want to leave this because I, I a line I pulled out that the the two guys who uh, came up to them in the in the saloon um, mm -hmm. said was because uh, uh, Quince is not in uniform at this point, and and one of them looks at the other one and says. Uh, what we have here is scum floating with scum. <laughs> yep. You're right. Yep. Uh, yep. Great line. You know, and, and, uh, and of course, that's the last straw. So, and, and I love the way they started the fight. I, th I think he just says, what, move out? You're right. And yes. then there's some silence yes. and then there's yep. all a bunch of punches and. <laughs> yep. I think well there's a, an extra, I think there's an extra part for the Miss Holly and, and the other characters that aren't in aren't in the military side of things. It gives us a, an opportunity as the audience to see what is coming down the line in civilization. 
what what the hope yes. is for these men because if it was just an outpost with nothing n- no civilians there there it, there'd be a lot more even more bleakness to it right so mm-hmm. when you've got people homesteaders and stuff like that making a future then then you have this this point in your head where you sit there and you think yeah you know what maybe there will be a time after military is, uh, duty is over that he can find happiness in just civilian life but without those elements there it be, it it become it can be, it could become a one note thing like you suggested you know oh, with, yeah. with the right. sergeant from you know challenge of the yukon um it would have been interesting to see him take off his his art you know his northwest mounted police jacket once in a while and be a man right well yeah. holly also uh, and that the characterization of holly i thought was brilliant um, cause it does a number of things. One, just for her own character, it does some neat things of like, oh, as soon as she, you know, actually gets an explanation from Lee that this is serious, this is what's going on. She gets fully on board with this. Like, yeah, I'm here to help. I'll, I'll get my stuff together. I'll get the heck out of here. And I'm giving you this really nice, uh, line about, I hope you can, you know, enjoy my cooking someday, which was really a way of saying, please don't get killed. Yeah. This is dangerous. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. also a way of telling the audience that this is serious, you know, and, 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 you know, people could die, but it, it also then was a nice counterpoint to the bar fight scene where we've got, okay, the conflict between the civilians and the army, but that's not everybody either. No. And the settlers that know the army know that they're all in this together. They're trying to, you know, build this new life and, and, you know, settle a new country and all this stuff and that they are in it together. And as soon as she realizes, oh, this is serious, this isn't just banter, um, she's on board with it and no nonsense. Give me a few minutes. I'll get my stuff. I'm heading out. Right. You know, I'll ride over to the Abbott place. Um, and all of this, I think, also ties in uh, with one of the things you were you were bringing up earlier, Jack, about the um, how you need a, a strong enemy. And in this case, on one level, yeah, it was we thought it was the Arapaho. Then we think it's a bunch of you know um, white people. I think it's a larger enemy, which is you know ties into the grayness of this whole thing, which is everything bad about human beings. Um, Everything that is that dark, we're going to take advantage of something. We're going to blame somebody else and try and make a buck off of right. off of that, and you know all that stuff. And that's kind of the type of rule of law that they are trying to lay down here. And that last couple of lines that to me was the okay, I got to do this episode with the you know sergeant. Yes, sir. Feels a whole lot. Or oh, no, sorry. No more women and kids dying hard. Feels kind of good, don't it, Captain? Don't it? And then it's like sergeant. Yes, sir. Feels a whole lot better than making money in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Despite how hard this is, despite what they've went through, this is what the, this is who they are. Yeah, this is what they stand for and what they stand against, and they're going to keep doing it. And Fort Laramie is that symbol, a very physical symbol, where the, yep. the so the title itself is saying, "Look, it's it's kind of like Babylon Five, right? You know, if we go into right. the science fiction side of things, it is a symbolic. This is where we're making our stand." This is we, this yes. is where we don't bend. This is the place, and I think that was a, a brilliant, a, a really good ideas there. I, I think you know. I want to. I want to mention too. I didn't want to get off of this too quickly. If you want to talk more, but I just I'm just so taken with John Meston's work as a writer, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. and he did more stuff for people who didn't know. He did a, a, some escape shows. He did some suspense shows. He did Lux Radio Theater, and of course Gunsmoke, and he even wrote some Little House in the Prairie uh, oh. <laughs> it, for television. And Heck Ramsey, which I have no idea what Heck Ramsey is as television. I'm going to have to go look that up when I get a chance. But he obviously was so well versed 
not just in westerns because the his his knowledge of how people connect and interact in a western is just top notch but like you said lothar human nature and and the darkness within our souls that will never be defeated in a single battle these are things that are constantly just eating at us and the choices that are being made and that whole grayness just just so powerful ability to write that stuff yeah you know that's just it, it's something that you know like when you you know use the word defeated i i guess i'm you know again uh the uh southern california gen x uh cynic in me it's like yeah it's never defeated the most you can do is keep staving it off and trying to mitigate it as much as possible because it's always going to be there right in, in each of us you know it's it's the battle with ourselves and it's never going to be defeated until after we die and hopefully people talk about us nicely and say yeah that was a good person you know yeah. we miss them that's right <laughs> We're starting to reach the end of our series. Are there any larger themes that we've been talking about that uh, maybe there's something that this is illuminated or thrown another, you know, element into? Is there anything that's coming up for you guys in, with regard to that? I mean, we talked about it, some of it already. Well, I think for me, I think this echoes a little bit back to the challenge of the Yukon when it talks to Frontier and, and the idea of uh, wilderness, and sometimes the wilderness is the dark heart of hum- of human beings. Uh, so you have this sense of, it, just like in Challenge of the Yukon, you have this sense of civilization um, imposing on this wildness around it and needing it. And there's, it's it really is like two sides of the same coin. If you have too much wildness, then you know human beings couldn't exist. Because you need a certain amount of civilization t- as a society. Individuals, absolutely. But as a society, you need a certain amount of civilization to be able to make it effective. But then on the other hand, if, if you spend all your time trying to defeat uh, nature in the, in the cause of civilization, you end up killing the nature around you and that supports you. And so this, this balance seems to be struck uh, in both shows. And it's really fascinating that when we talk about the West, we think about frontiers, even for shows that aren't uh, specifically like that, like um, pa- Ponderosa, you know, uh, or Bonanza, I should say. Uh, those shows aren't specifically about opening up new frontier all the time. It's more about you know civilizing what you have and creating what you have. But there's, those are all still themes in the background that I think the West opens up for people this sense of adventure and i think that there's like going to be this new uh west feel which you know they 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 plumbed a lot in firefly once people can get off this rock and onto another planet mm-hmm. there's that sense of a new frontier to be able to go to and i mean that was star trek too right Wagon train sure. to the stars oh, sure. was the whole thing so sure. that's what i struck struck me about it as a larger theme and one of the things that struck me was actually a quote I read in doing my research and and the person who said it they they said it's about ordinary people living in extraordinary times and yeah it, mm-hmm. I, I I that really resonated with me because um you know whether it's Quince or it's Marshall Dillon uh or the Marshall and uh, John Rett I can't think of his name but I loved that character so much uh, in, in many of the others that we talk about, it's, it's, you know, they're ordinary people and under extraordinary circumstances. And, 
um, they're rising to the occasion. And right. to me, that that says something, and I think that's a, a universal story. And I, I think back to a to a show I watched, a special on uh, people who won the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor in battle, and each one of them independently to a man said, I, I, I'm not brave. Uh, you know, I just did what I did. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of blew my mind. They, they all said that independently or something like that. I just, it was there. It happened. I did it. And then it was over. And, and, um, and I feel like that with, with these guys, like Quince has such character, um, that he, you know, he's, 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 he's at almost a crisis point, right? Where he says, I'm going to stop being a soldier. I'm going to go to St. Louis. And then this happens and it kind of edifies him. Um, right. You know, or, or the marshal and John Rhett, you know, looks at what John Rhett did to save his life. And uh, so I guess John Rhett is in that category as well, right? Mm-hmm. Or Jack Rhett. Is it Jack yeah. Rhett? Jack Rhett, is it? Mm-hmm. Am Jack I saying Rhett, it wrong? Yeah. Um, yep. <clears throat> you know, and, and you, I think if we mind, so many of these stories from the gunfighter and, and the Dr. Six gun and, and all that, we, we look at kind of ordinary people doing extraordinary things to better humanity. I mean, look what Dr. Six gun does, right? Dr. Yep. Six gun, he does, he, he refuses to change the, those documents, right? Right. No, yep. I, I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm, you know, and he, he's dealing with a, a crazy man, right? Who God knows what he, that guy might do to him. Um, but yet he's going to stand up for, for that. And, and, you know, you think of, of, of heroes like that. I, I love that kind of hero. I love that kind of hero that's, that doesn't have superpowers, although I like those too. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, the regular person. And I'm saying person because I, I include women in this as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that they're, they're strong and they stand up for what's right. Um, not because they're better than anyone else, but because they're human and because they care yeah. and they have compassion and empathy. And that's what I love about Marshall Dillon. He's got compassion and empathy, although he's got this this kind of impossible job to do, right? Right. Um, but he still does it with, with a degree of, of heavy-handedness, yet he's also got the compassion as well. It's like that you got the hero that you uh, – not the hero that you want, but the hero that you need for the time. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. The uh, one of the uh, something I came up with with things that both of you guys were saying is, and I think this will come into play also as we finish this season and move into noir next season is in modern Western civilization. um, And let's put air quotes around civilization there. We have this false dichotomy, I think, which is, um, you know, that Jack, you you sort of referenced, which is the idea of the savage versus civilization. Mm And even, you know, one of our favorite authors, Robert E. Howard, always kept do- dealing with this as well. But by civilization, most times people just mean things like laws, manners, yep. um, the rule of law. Mm-hmm. That is not what the word civilization means. The word civilization actually references urban planning, building a city. Mm-hmm. Oh. And m- it's the arrogance of city dwellers to think that they're the only ones that have a rule of law or a rule of custom, or what is right and what is wrong, because all tribal peoples, since the beginning, for them to have actually had a lore to pass down, to have ritual structures, to have 
anything, they had to have a rule of law. Right. And they did have law. And we know a lot about, about like Anglo-Saxon law and things like that. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing where just saying, oh, I built a city and we've got this like bureaucracy, that means that we're civilized, quote unquote, but does it really mean what we think it means? Because that's where we get some of the uh, characters like in um, Wild Jack Rhett, where you've got the corruption going on with the saloon owner. Yeah. Mm -hmm who's making double dealings and we've got these guys here saying, Oh, well the Arapaho will be a convenient thing to blame this on and mm -hmm. we can steal a bunch of horses and blame it on them. And, and then we get into, you know, more modern day stuff, which we'll see in the noir. And now even in our own world where it's like, uh, how quote unquote civilized are we with our iPhones and our computers and our Ubers and all the stuff that's urban, highly civilized from that point of view. And maybe we're not that much away from what we used to call savage from other people. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you clarified that with the word civilization, because I don't see it in that way, but I know most people do because I look at things like, you know, longhouse connections and the meeting of the thing in in you know viking ways and really mm -hmm. really for me civilization is organizing for the greater ability of the whole uh but that organization can be very loosely done it can be done you know family to family clan to clan or whatever it is that creates some sort of organizing factors of laws or or uh things that you need to live by in one way or another to, to get along so that we have, you know, arrangements and agreements so that when I walk over to your territory, you don't just put an arrow through me that there's, there's particular reasons for us to meet and trade and stuff like that. Those, those don't mean a full infrastructure of some urban planning or, <laughs> or anything no, like that. Not at all. And I've always argued against that myself being a, a good little, uh, a rural country bumpkin in my, <laughs> in my, in my youth <laughs> and past and, and my heart of hearts. Uh, but in the same way, like, if you take a look at the show Deadwood, it's exactly the opposite of that. You know, you've got a town saying that they're civilized and they're anything but. They're just – the main guy wants the – Swearingen is the character's name. He he wants laws only so it's uh, a nice, simple way to pick people's pockets. It has oh, nothing to do with yeah. working towards the betterment of, of the yeah. good. It's sort of like if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, he's lawful evil, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right, right. You, you made me think, Lothar, that, that you know, like Dr. Six Gun, for example, which I loved, that character comes from essentially Boston, right? They, they talk about Cambridge, so he probably went to Harvard or something and and he comes out to the West. And so we have these preconceived notions of these kind of deeply rooted stereotypes of different regions of our country, correct? And, and it may, you made me think of it now, even now today. Um, even if you look at red states, blue states and all that kind of thing, you know, there's still that, there's still some kind of a divide in a lot of places, at least, you know, somewhat. Uh, you know, when, oh, yeah. when people meet me and I, oh, you're from Massachusetts. Oh, you're one of those. You know, it's, it's like, um, it, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but you just, you just kind of put a kernel of an idea in my mind about how we're looking at these Westerns. And it's, um, you know, this, this one takes place in Wyoming, but we don't know where these guys are from, but. You know, this is Wyoming and others have, have taken place in Texas and 
and wherever they, they've taken place. And, and, um, so it's interesting the differences between, you know, those civilized things. And it's, it's one of the things in, in, uh, in Westerns, right? How you've got the citified, you know, person from the East, you know, and, and Godless had that. And if you've seen Godless on HBO, I keep talking about, um, or Netflix rather, um, you know, they had the, the citified newspaper publisher guy. Right, yep. who who feels like he's better than everyone else uh, because he's mm-hmm. he's he's educated and and all of that and and so you do have that this this kind of differences among people and and of course it's like fish out of water right when you take Doctor Siskon you put him into the West now you get that fish out of water story yeah. which is uh, which is one of your classic seven plot lines right. Um, yep. So I, I don't know, really know what I'm trying to say is that's probably pretty obvious, but, um, but it's just, you made me think about that in terms of the Western and parts of our country and, and how they're different and, and the same in some ways, but different in a lot of ways. And yeah. it's just, it's, well, very it's how do we see ourselves? How do we, how do we make the other person the other, mm-hmm. you know, yes. in, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, quotes or in a capital O and we see that a lot, you know, in, in this series, especially there's always some character that makes some comment about the savages yes you know or about this and and, and you know leo you know call him up and you know try and calmly say no this is you know this is one of our friends this is someone that comes and trades all the time you know we're yeah <laughs> or whatever it is and um yeah and and we're we, we still do that today and we did it back then and when we look at a whole culture that's just different from ours and say they're not civilized they're savage right or you know mm-hmm. another one that we did uh which was you know there's the what um is classically called the five civilized tribes. Um, the uh, let's see, it was the Cherokee, the Choctaw, and a few others that I'm blanking on right now. The reason why we called them the civilized tribes is, well, they happen to have a written language. Oh, okay. And that was the only reason why we gave them more respect. And it's like, yeah, but do you know what it has to the type of memory and the, the things that go into being a, a, a functioning oral culture as well. That's not something to look down on. It's just different. Yeah. You know, yes, there's a benefit to writing. Um, but if anybody's read uh, Walter Ong's great book, Orality and Literacy, you know that things get lost also when you move over to a literate way of thinking. No question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question. You know, they come, they, they come with pros and cons and it's, it's yes, I, I like my literary world. I like the fact I can read and write and I got lots of books. I don't want to go away with it, but I'm not going to look down on a culture that doesn't have that and say, oh, look at how you know, poor and pauper you are. You're just, you're horrible. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think too, in this, that I, I think uh, one of the episodes I listened to it was a good one. It was one of the earlier ones. It was called Squaw Man. And I didn't know what a Squaw Man was, so I looked it up, and it's a, a, a white person who's married to a, to a native person. Hmm. Um, and he's a mountain man. <laughs> Do you know man. what the he, word Squaw means, though? Yeah. No, I don't. It is actually, um, at least what I've read, and so I would have to verify this. Sure. I might be wrong, but something I read in an actual history book is that the word Squaw came about when someone was pointing saying like, Hey, are there any women that we can, you know, maybe have sex with? And they're trying to get their point across and they're pointing at their crotch squat in that language, according to the source that I read means a male genitalia. Really? <laughs> and, human, no and, 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 and Americans misunderstood that to like, Oh yes, I want to go find a woman to have sex with. No, they thought that, yeah. So squaw <laughs> is actually a, a slur in um, a lot of American 
uh, in Native American culture because of oh, that. I, that I did know, you know, I, but I didn't know that that above the word. And then, fascinating. But I, I, the way I liked about that episode was that they they, um, you know, you're talking about interracial marriage and 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 uh, 1956, and um, you know. And Quince stands up for the guy. He's looking for a job and, and, uh, you know, Quince stands up for him. And, and I, I thought it was in positive. I, I actually didn't finish listening to that. So maybe I'm wrong in the end, but I don't think so. Hmm. Um, but, uh, it was an interesting, interesting episode. And I'm glad they, they put that in there. I, yeah. I think that's timely. I mean, not to get too political, but, you know, when you're talking about othering, I think that we live in a society uh, at a time where othering is at a high level. Oh, yes. And We're doubling down on yeah. it. Oh, and, oh, yes. And, oh, God, and one yes. of my heroes is a, a woman by the name of Polly Murray. Have I mentioned her before? I don't think so. So, she nope. she, uh, she graduated from uh, Howard University as a law student, like one of the first women to graduate. And um, she was... Um, uh, I think she was African American, but she was also a lesbian, and so she was it, it had a whole lot of difficulties, obviously, with the people mm -hmm. around her. But she said something that really struck me, and I try to live my life by it. Where she talked about how they didn't accept her, but she was going to draw a circle around them, and they were a part of her tribe. They were a part of her, and I think that that's nice. what I think that's what really the aspects of civilization when when it's at its best is we remove the other because we we want to recognize we're all part of a greater whole that way we're all I, we all belong and and she wasn't sitting there saying i'm erasing you know your heterosexual experience your color of your skin your stuff like that i was just saying no this is this is who we are together it reminded me of that uh that british sitcom with the bucket lady um if you remember that one uh no, no and, and and so whenever the, it's it's quite funny and whenever they talk about the people in their family they would always use the pronoun beforehand our our mm -hmm. Mary, our so, oh, and that's okay. a, such yeah. an old-fashioned way of looking yeah. at things. But mm -hmm. it's a wonderful way because my mom used to say that yeah. exactly. If yep. if you yep. utilize that language, that is no longer somebody who's outside of those things. It's for better or for worse, and and it's it's part of our who we are. And if we can do that more as as human beings, there may be hope for us yet. I agree. I think that's a wonderful place to uh, to end it. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. I was, but I think I that this, this theme add, right now is very positive. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, it might, this is going to be positive too, um, because what you just made me think of of Jack is you know in the recent passing of John Lewis. Yeah. Um, and watching his funeral and listening to what people said to each to, about him and um, reading some of the stuff that he wrote, especially his last essay, which if you. Uh, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC had Morgan Freeman read his last essay. Oh wow, uh, John! Yeah, it's quite moving. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure. It's quite moving. Cool. Um, and the way I felt about about John Lewis is not only did he have the credibility because he was on the streets, right, with Martin Luther King getting his head beaten in when he's crossed the, the Pettus Bridge. Um. But he was somebody who probably could have gotten angry and, and despondent, but he, he never did. And, and I think that 
that one of the things about him was that you, when you say that, draw the circle around him. I love that. I love that because I think that's what he did. And mm-hmm. everybody always said that, you know, he was one of the only guys who could go up to the, to some of the people on the opposite side of the, of the aisle and, you know, really have conversations with them because they respected him so much. And, uh, and he always, I think to use your, to use the term you brought up, drew a circle around that and people like Mitch McConnell and people, other people like that. And I just, you know, I, I felt, and I felt like to me, he was, John Lewis represented what it was to be a real, uh, true American, a true leader and a true patriot. And, and, um, so, um, just that you just made me think of that when you spoke of, I'm sorry, what was, what was the woman's name? Cause I want to write it down. Polly Murray. It's Polly P A U L I and Murray as you would expect it to be, I guess. Some more Polly Murray. I got, I'm going to, I'm going to look her up because it's amazing. So I, you know, I just wanted to throw that in and, and, uh, I think it has something to do with the human condition, maybe not the Western, but certainly sure. the human condition. <laughs> No, it's like that. That's the sort of thing I think we were all trying to work towards with the, you know, foundations of the country. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was the ideal. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, we could use a little bit more of that right now. Yes, we could. Yeah. So I think we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I think we have one more episode, um, for our Western season and it's going to be you next, Jack. Is that correct? That's right. And I'm still searching. So it's going to be a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I got to end off on something. Hi, you guys keep raising the bar on me. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this, though, Lothar. Yes. What a great treat to go back to Fort Laramie. I got to go back. I want to. I, yeah. I know I haven't listened to all forty-one because I thought there was more than them. Now it, I think everybody has an opportunity to go and listen. With forty-one, there's not that many. Right. Yes, and and you know, people, uh, if you like it and you want to, you know, it's not a very large book, but that little Kindle for a dollar, um, you know, about Fort Laramie is definitely worth it. Cool. And um, you know, uh. Yeah, I, I want to listen to all of them, too, because I've only listened maybe like 10 or 15 at the most. And now that I know there's only 41, it's like I could turn those out and they're all excellent. So Send me the link of that Kindle when you send me the final file and I'll put it, I sure I'll will. Put it with the website yeah, so people can see. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Cool. Right on. All right, amigos. Um, thanks again for uh, for joining us here in the, uh, the Wyoming uh, landscape, which is uh, <laughs> flat and mountainous, depending on where you're at. And um, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll see you next month for more Sonic Echo. Adios, amigos. Keep your powder dry. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. 
You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama, or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.